Welcome, everybody. Good to see you this weekend, and uh, everybody joining us online and at Montrose. Great to see you guys as well. Uh, hey, I just wanted to, uh, to reiterate, like, grab those Christmas program tickets. Uh, we really want you guys to be a part of it, and this is what I'd like you to do, actually. This is kind of the way I'd love you to do it. I'd love you to think about who you're going to bring with you and then get tickets for everybody, right? So we really, really go out of our way to make Jesus make sense at Christmas time and those Christmas services. Uh, we really try to bring his heart and his mind to the forefront, and I think that's a big part of what Christmas represents. And so if you would think of somebody that maybe doesn't understand the heart and the mind of Jesus or is looking for uh, that in their life, the Christmas program is like designed to, to help out with that. So think about who you can invite. We want you to come to, obviously. Uh, but the reason we do those tickets is so that you can guarantee a seat for the people you're inviting, right? So we, we let you reserve them that way, and that way you know, like, we can invite, we can grab dinner, and then we can, we can have seats when we, when we get there. And uh, that's, that's why we have uh, set it up that way. So just take advantage of that and, uh, and be a part of it and utilize it in those ways, and we're going to have a, a great time together, okay? So uh, I would line up and do that now and, uh, and get on that right away, okay? So uh, we've been talking about stress and anxiety and peace and how that plays out in our walk with God here the last few weeks, and I want to continue that conversation here for the next couple of weeks. And just asking the question, like, where does God show up in that conversation? Where does God show up in that, that place in my life? And we've kind of gone out of our way to say, like, when we're talking about anxiety, uh, what I'm not doing is I'm not really talking about anxiety disorders. And so, like, Grace Church would very much uh, believe that some of us have a, a diagnosed anxiety disorder and what, uh, what you would really need is counseling and doctors and maybe even medicine. And Grace looks at, at that and says, we believe that those things are gifts from God and absolutely things that you should, you should engage. And so um, I'm not trying to do that deep diagnosis here in these conversations, but we do recognize that that exists. And if you believe that you're struggling with that and you don't have like a pathway to counseling and medicine, we would love to help you find that pathway, okay? So we're not talking about those things. Now, I do believe Jesus meets you in that. And I do believe that Jesus cares about that. And I believe that Jesus war uh, travels with us through all of our struggles in life. So I'm not saying like that's above Jesus's head. That's not what I mean. What I mean is I believe that doctors and counseling and medicines are a gift that God gives us and we should take advantage of that. What we've been talking about is, is more in this line of what we've just called life anxiety. So it's the stress, it's the pressure, it's the busyness, it's the overwhelmness, it's the anxiousness of life that comes from a crazy pace, comes from pressures that come in, comes from losses, comes from wounds, all that kind of stuff. It's our humanness. And Jesus speaks a lot into this, and Jesus meets us here as well. He has a lot to say about it, and a lot of ways that he wants to interact with us. So we've been kind of talking the, these kind of two categories. What I want to do this weekend is I want to introduce a third category that informs this one, all right? So when we talk about life anxiety, I want to introduce this idea of spiritual anxiety, 
And I believe that spiritual anxiety directly affects the anxiety that we have in life. The Bible says that the heart is the wellspring of life. So our, our spirit, our, our soul, is what drives or feeds everything else in our life, right? So we would have grown up in a culture which would say that uh, human beings are kind of two-dimensional. Uh, we're intellectual creatures, so if we have something we're trying to figure out in our humanity, we're gonna study it, and we're gonna measure it, and we're gonna run tests, and we're gonna track a group of people, right? So we're intellectual creatures. And then we would also believe that we're emotional creatures, right? So I have emotional wounds and scars, and my emotions are up and down. We would really quickly believe those two things, and both of those things are true. The Bible would even speak about that. I would argue this, though, that before we're intellectual creatures and before we're emotional creatures, what human beings are primarily is we are spiritual creatures. Life is built from the heart up. And so what happens in my heart, what happens to me spiritually is going to inform my emotions and it's gonna inform my intellect. So when I'm struggling with something like anxiety or stress or pressure or worry or whatever words you would throw on it, when I'm struggling on that level, if I just inform the mind, it's not going to relieve that. If I just inform the emotions, it's not going to re relieve that. I actually need to inform or change the heart and the heart will inform the emotions and it will inform the mind. So spiritual anxiety is like a big thing that we need to think through and that we need to talk through, right? And we need to understand it. Now, what that means is that my relationship with Jesus and how I understand Jesus and how I interact with Jesus directly affects my anxiety, right? And so understanding that's a big, big deal. I wrote it this way in the notes. I said, my view of what Jesus expects from me directly influences my spiritual anxiety. So how I think about Jesus, what I hear him say, what I perceive that he wants from me, how he wants to interact with me, whether he's pleased with me or not, that relationship and that view is going to directly inform my spiritual anxiety. And if my heart is restless, my emotions are gonna be restless and my mind's gonna be restless. But if my heart's at peace, that peace is gonna guard, so to say, my emotions and my mind. So we would start, because we're primarily spiritual beings, we would start looking for that relief of anxiety from the position of the heart, right? Now I wanna kinda walk us through this and talk this through together this weekend. And what I wanna do is I wanna introduce you to two sisters. And these two sisters are fascinating because what you see is one sister is overwhelmed with anxiety and one sister is very much at peace and everything else about them is the same. So there's something shifted or something's in there in their heart where one lands with anxiety, one lands with peace and it's what's happening in their view of God or their view of Jesus that's driving those two things, okay? So if you got a Bible, uh, Luke chapter 10 is where we're gonna hang out. And these scriptures are on the app too if you just wanna use your phone. But Luke chapter 10, we meet these two sisters. So Jesus is traveling with his disciples. 
They're on their way to Jerusalem, and they stop at a friend's house, okay? And this friend was a guy named Lazarus and his two sisters, and, and the names are Mary and Martha. So Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are siblings, and they're a family friend, so to say, of Jesus, and Jesus and his disciples stop at their house to hang out a little bit. So Luke 10, verse 38 as Jesus and his disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught, but Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, dear Martha, you are worried and upset over these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her, right? So Jesus comes in, he's got disciples with them. Martha is all stressed out. Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus in the ancient world is not a subservient act. It's the act of a, of a teacher interacting with the student. So it wasn't just Mary that was sitting at the feet of Jesus. There were other people there, but it's where she found herself. Mary is full of peace. She's still, she's at rest, she's listening. Martha is full of anxiety. She's distracted and then Jesus says, you're worried and you're upset. You're anxious is the way that we would say it. And you see this tension start to play out. So I wanna look at these two sisters for a minute and I want us to see something about them and it might reveal a little something about ourselves and then I want us to see uh, the heart of God and how we can alleviate some of this in our own life, okay? So here's the deal with Mary and Martha. Why they're a fascinating comparison is because there is nothing different about them except their reactions to Jesus. So Mary and Martha both come from the same family. So they were raised in the same home environment. So, so it's not like they're just all stressed out because mom was always stressed out when a bunch of people came over for dinner. They were raised in the same family environment. They were raised in the same cultural environment. So it's not like they're so, like Martha's all stressed out and Mary's all stressed out because everybody knows in the ancient world the women made the dinner. It's the same cultural environment. They are of the same generation. So they're obviously one's older than the other, but there's not like generations between them. So it's not like older generations are better hosts than younger generations. They're of the same generations. Ready? Here's the big one. And they both are in the presence of Jesus. So Jesus comes into their home. So they're raised the same way, they have the same cultural expectations of them. They, they, they're generationally, they would think the same way and they're both in the presence of Jesus, but one is full of anxiety and one is full of peace. So what's the difference between the two of them? And maybe we can find something in here that will help us out a little bit, right? Martha's freaking out. Group of people come over, she's gotta get dinner ready for everybody, she's freaking out. The Bible says she's distracted, Jesus says she's worried and she's upset. 
And what I believe is that I believe Martha is struggling with something, something that I have labeled uh, Martha Madness Syndrome. So Martha, it has Martha Madness Syndrome. Now, this is what Martha Madness Syndrome does. Martha's the type of person that if you popped into her house and she wasn't expecting you, she would start to explain away the condition of her house while cleaning it and talking to you simultaneously. So if you popped into her house, she'd be like, hey, how are you? Oh, these breakfast dishes. They're never here for eight hours. I, those kids. And she would start picking up and cleaning. How did, I can't believe there's dog hair on the floor. This is horrible. I, I'm so, I'm never out of coffee. My husband. She would start doing things to excuse her behavior because, ready? This is important, ready? Because people with Martha Madness Syndrome, Martha would have believed that you had expectations about her home. So Martha would have believed that if you came to her home, you would expect it to be spotless. If you came to her home, you would expect there to not have dirt on the floor. If you came to her home, you would expect her to host you properly. And because of her view of your expectations, she's going to be distracted, worried, and upset that in her mind, she's not meeting expectations that you think she has. And this is what was happening to Martha in the Bible. It's Martha Madness Syndrome. Martha, ready? I think with all the best intentions. I don't think Martha was a jerk. And I don't think she was e egotistical. I think Martha thought like this. Jesus is coming to my house. Jesus is coming to my house. And we know from another part of scripture that Martha believed that Jesus was Lord. She believed he was the Messiah. So Martha's like the king of kings and the Lord of lords is coming to my house. If the king of kings and the Lord of lords is coming to my house, what would he expect me to do? If you're king of kings and Lord of lords, you come to my house, wouldn't he expect my house to be in order? Wouldn't he expect, I, I, we gotta clean, we gotta clean, we gotta clean, Jesus is coming, we gotta clean. She's yelling at the kids, your room, smell, you smell. Like, you, gotta, you gotta clean, you gotta clean. If Jesus comes to my house, she would expect, you would mow the lawn if the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So she yelled at her husband, listen, get the goats out. You gotta like, mow the grass, right? Is Jesus coming to my house? If Jesus is coming to my house, I have to prepare a meal for him and it needs to be a good meal. Because you, you don't feed Jesus Taco Bell, right? You don't, you don't actually feel to anybody you love Taco Bell. You don't do that, right? So I gotta, I gotta make a meal and I, it's gotta be a meal that Jesus likes. Because it's, it's, not, it's not Uncle Bill coming over. It's the King of the Kings and Lord of Lords. He's coming to my house and I, he would expect me to interact with him this way. And Martha Madness Syndrome kicks in because God has an expectation. I perceive that expectation and that expectation now is dictating to me how I feel about God being in my presence. Now, I will confess to you, 
I am a person who struggles with Martha Madness Syndrome. And the reason I struggle with Martha Madness Syndrome is because of my insecurities and because of my childhood wounds, because of my emotions. So somewhere back in my childhood, I didn't know where, I picked up a lie, somebody told it to me or I made it up myself, and the lie says this, if I want you to love me and I want you to respect me, what I have to do is I have to perform for you at, a highest, at the highest level that I can possibly perform so that you are blown away by it. And if I love you and I respect you, I expect that you expect me to do that. And it's all a misunderstanding of how you view me and what you expect from me, but I struggle with it all the time. So I struggle with performance, and I will work myself to the bone to perform at a high level. So I can't, I can't just give a talk on the weekend. I can't do it. I gotta blow your mind with what I'm talking about. And it's gotta be funny, and if we do it right, you cry at the end. And I'm not doing it to manipulate you and I'm not doing it for my ego, I'm doing it because I love Jesus. And wouldn't Jesus want me to perform at that level? I can't just pastor a church, I gotta pastor the best church in the history of churches, right? Check. Like, we gotta, I gotta win. And I'm not doing it for my ego because I'm, my insecurities won't let my ego rage that way. I'm not doing it to win a competition. I would think that way because if I'm going to do something for Jesus, it's gotta be the very best thing. That's what, what he would want, King kings and Lord of lords, right? My life, if Jesus is gonna come into my presence, my life has to be executed on a level that I think Jesus would expect it to be executed on. And so what happens is I move. And I move 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 and I work 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 and I work. And I don't do it for selfish, ungodly reasons. I do that oftentimes because I have a wrong view of Jesus' expectations of me, right? It's Martha Madness Syndrome. And a lot of people have Martha Madness Syndrome. And they would look and they would say, we don't say it out loud, they would look, we would look and we would say, I have to do for Jesus because that's what Jesus would expect of me, right? So Martha's wigging out. Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Martha's full of anxiety and full of stress and full of worry, and Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. So much so, it gets on Martha's nerves. And she looks at Jesus, she's like, can you tell her to help me? And Jesus looks at Martha and he says, actually, Martha, what Mary is doing is what I want. Mary is full of peace, Martha is full of anxiety, 
what's the difference? This is what the scripture says. Jesus says to Martha, there's only one thing that's worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. So why is Martha anxious? Because she has Martha Madness Syndrome, pretty easy to diagnose. Why is Mary at peace? She's at peace because she has discovered something. She's discovered something. What has she discovered? She has discovered what Jesus actually wants from her. Jesus wants Mary to meet his presence with hers. And I want you to be with me. I want you to enjoy the depth of our relationship. I want you to enjoy the conversation. She's listening at his feet. I want you to know my heart and my mind. I want you to be with me. And I came to your house not so you would clean it, mow it, and give me a great meal. I came to your house to be with you. Mary discovered what it means to have a complete and a healthy relationship with Jesus. And she discovered that's what he wants from her. It's fascinating. When you go back in church history a little bit, people who follow Jesus have always struggled with this a little bit. And they've always struggled with Martha Madness Syndrome. What's Jesus want from me? Does he want me to be a monk? Does he want me to be a nun? Does he want me to, to be a uh, pauper? Does he want me to take a vow of poverty? What's Jesus want me to do for him? And in the early church, the, the, the church leaders were struggling with this. And so what they did, they had this meeting one time and they went into the, the Bible and they said, you know, we gotta figure this out because there's all these definitions of what's it, what's it mean to really follow Jesus. So they went into this meeting and they actually opened the Bible up and they started looking at the words and the teachings and the writings of, of the scripture. And as they went through Jesus's words and his teachings, what they said is actually when we, when we, when we look at this, what we can understand is there's three things that Jesus wants from us. And these three things have defined what it means to have a healthy relationship with Jesus actually for over a thousand years now. It's an ancient idea that I think is incredibly relevant today. And I think if we could bring it into the way that we think today, it actually would bring a lot of relief to the anxiety that all of us struggle with. So this is what the guys figured out. They went into the scripture and they said, actually, all Jesus wants is this, is three words. If you were looking for a tattoo, this would be a good one. Three words. They said, all that you need to know in order to understand what it is to have a healthy relationship with Jesus is you need to know these three words, know, be, and do. And what they did is they said, let's look at this. And they said, all Jesus wants for us is for us to know him. So there's a part of our relationship with Jesus where I just have to like understand who Jesus is. Think of it as dating. When I first saw Heidi and she pulled up in that 1978 Dodge quad cab pickup truck, I was like, oh, I gotta meet this girl, right? Hot, so hot. And so I had to go to her and I had to know her. Hey, what's your name? And then she was like, don't talk to me. And she didn't speak to me for a year and a half, but then I won her over, right? I have to know somebody, I have to meet you. Who are you? Where are you from? 
What do you like? What don't you like? What's the information about you? So the early church fathers looked and said, if we're gonna actually have a relationship with Jesus, we have to know that stuff. We have to know who Jesus is, that he's the son of God, that he's the promised Messiah, like the information about the person. But they said, Jesus is not an intellectual pursuit. He's a spiritual one and a relational pursuit. So this knowledge of God has to turn into this desire to be in the presence of God. That somewhere in a relationship, it quits being this exchange of information. The information turns into the presence of a relationship. When you're dating someone, you're going to start with who, you know, what's your name, where you're from, all those kind of things. That's going to lead to a walk. That's going to lead to coffee. That's going to lead to the relational bond of your presence. And you can't, you can't divorce yourself from the information. But the information has to draw you into a relationship. And the church fathers looked and they said, guys, listen, you have to understand, we can teach you everything there is to know about the Bible and everything that there is to know about the church, but if, if you don't experience the love of God, and if you don't love him in return, if you don't experience the presence of God, if you don't experience the joy of God, if you don't experience the power of God, if you don't understand what it is to be in his presence, then this information has no power to it. So you have to know, and then that leads to being in his presence. And being in his presence, then it's like, well, now I know what to do. So I know Heidi, I know her deeply, well, now I know how she wants me to respond to her. I know her love language. I know like what kind of food she likes. I know that as long as it's chocolate, we're good. Like I know what to do because I have been with her because I acted on this knowledge of her. So the father, the church fathers are like, guys, if you're gonna boil down a relationship with Jesus and, and you were trying to understand and know it in a healthy way, all you gotta remember is no be do. And you know him, you be with him in his presence, and then you do the things he has asked you to do, but that comes from a relational position, okay? This is what happens. People who have Martha Madness syndrome change the order of this. And we don't do it on purpose. We do it because we think that's what God expects from us. And we change the order. And we start, we'll start off with no, I'm trying to serve Jesus. Martha was not, well, she wasn't being a jerk. She's like, I'm trying to make lunch for everybody and you brought people to my house and I'm trying to be a good hostess. So we have to know Jesus. It is, a, it is a deal that the savior of the world showed up at her house. She knows that, she's interacting with that, but she's, she thinks he wants something from her that he doesn't. So because she thinks she, he wants something from her that she doesn't, she changes the order, she knows him, but then she says, I'm going to do something. I'm going to do something. Because I don't understand the heart and the mind of God, I just assume if I was God, I would want you to do something. I'm gonna have the cleanest house that I can possibly have. And Jesus walks in and he's like, I didn't really come to like check for dust. I didn't put a white glove on and be like, Martha, there's no dust in the throne room. He's like, that's it. I'm gonna make him this incredible meal. And Jesus is like, Martha, I, like, I can handle lunch. Like you got some bread and like a fish or something. I can feed everybody, I've done it before. I mean, 
Like, lunch is not a, a thing for Jesus. She's like, I have to do for him. And Jesus would look and say, I want you to be with me. Now, this is what happens. When I reverse this, and I know, then I do. People with Martha Madness Syndrome, we know, then we do, ready? And if there's any time, in any space, and any energy left, we'll be. We'll be. But only if there's something left. If, if I, I ran around all day, and I served the kids all day, and I was a great mom all day, and like if, if I get around to it, I'll, I'll pray. If I get around to it, I'll, I'll, I'm trying to be a great mom, I'm trying to be a great dad. I, if I get around to it, I'll go to church. And when we know, do, be, being in the presence of Jesus is the very last thing on our list. Now, Ready? When I reverse this order, the presence of Jesus, when I know, do, and then be, ready? The presence of Jesus makes me anxious. Mary and Martha were both in Jesus' presence. But Mary was being with him. Martha was doing stuff. Mary is at peace. Martha's wigged out. And if you struggle with Martha Madness syndrome, what happens is this. The idea of being still, the idea of being quiet, the idea of, of being in God's presence stresses you. You know you have Martha Madness syndrome when you have the opportunity to be quiet and you immediately fill it. In fact, I'm uncomfortable. I'm like, oh, it's just the two of us, huh? Let me hop on my phone. There's a quiet moment where I can be in my thoughts. Let me turn the TV on. There's an opportunity for me to feel something deeply or to process a pain. Let's have fun. And when I have a moment to be still and to be in God's presence, that opportunity is actually what freaks me out. Jesus, when he responded to Martha, what he was saying was, Mary has discovered, I, just, I actually just came here to be with her. Just wanna hang out. And I wanted to know about her life and I want her to know about my life. And that's actually making for a very deep relationship. Uh, I can literally speak lunch into existence. Guys, when we're struggling with anxiety, when we're struggling with anxiety, there is a God who loves you. There is a God who stepped out of heaven and came to earth. It's Christmas, we're singing about it. And one of his names is Emmanuel. He came to be with you. And one of the great helps, 
one of the great reliefs to our anxiety is when we meet his presence with ours. And we're with God. We're being. And if we assume that God just wants our activity, he wants our devotion, he wants our sacrifice, he wants our schedule, he wants our money, it's like, it's a wrong assumption. And what happens a lot of times is I actually don't even know him well enough to know what he would want me to do or not do. Many of us have a, clear, a very clear view of who we know God isn't. This legalism, God isn't that. This Christian subculture, God isn't that. This demand that God isn't that. This God isn't that. I'm like, okay, you win. Who is he then? Who is he? What does he think? What is his heart? Well, I've been researching on the internet and all these, I'm like, I got you. I got, you got, you win, you got your point. But who is this God of love? Why would he give his only son? Why does he want to know you? Why did he show up in your life? See, a bunch of us believe that, well, God just wants me to do stuff. Stuff that he can do anyways? And we're so active that we don't know his heart and mind. Ready? And then there's a, another group of us that can't believe that God would want to be with me because I'm not worthy to be with him. He just wants to know me? Yeah. In fact, he does already. He loves me in my sin? Yeah. He, he, he just loves, it's just great. He just loves me because he loves, he just came over to come over? Yeah. The God of heaven, your creator, knows you, loves you, and enjoys you, and wants to be with you. And we can't hardly do that math. So we try to change the equation. It's, it's no do be, right? No. No. Jesus came to be with Mary and Martha. And Martha did bad math. And Mary did good math. And Jesus looked at Martha and said, the mass she did, Martha, she's, when I'm gone, when I go back to heaven, when I lay my life down, Mary is never going to forget. She's never going to wish that she didn't take the time to be with me at the house. Martha, nobody's going to remember what we had for lunch. Mary has discovered the better thing and it will never be taken away from her. Okay. Guys, I'm convinced that the hardest thing to believe about God is that he loves us. 
I'm convinced the hardest thing to believe about God is that he loves us. There's got to be a catch. There's got to be a catch. Okay, he showed up. Okay, he lived. Okay, he died. But I got to be like a, a monk, right? No? Why, I got to be this kind of a Christian. God loves you. He values you. He wants to be with you. He loves you enough to confront you about your sin because your sin is going to separate you from him. But he loves you. That's why he brought it up. He loves you enough that before you ever dealt with your sin, he was willing to give his life for you. You getting your act together was not a prerequisite for Jesus being willing to die on the cross. He loves you enough that he enjoys being with you. Like you would enjoy being with a friend or you might enjoy being with your children. Jesus enjoys you. He's not asking you to perform. He's not asking you to do something he can do for himself. And as you understand your love for him and his love for you, in a relational context, you'll know what to do. I know that Heidi loves chocolate. I know it. I know her. I'm in her presence. And I know how to serve her now. Okay. So you'll know what to do. Got to lead you what to do. Every relationship has action to it. But the action is not the prerequisite for the relationship. So you know, then you're with or you be, and then you do. And a God who loves, and a God who cares, and a God who understands that you struggle with anxiety, that you struggle with worry, that you're distracted, that you're upset, that God came to be with you. I think if we were walking away with this and I was trying to put really practical handles on it, what I would say is I would say what you should do is no be do. So I would say this, if, if you don't know God, you should get to know him. If you don't know all that he says about his love for you, if you don't know that God is not out to get you, he's out to love you, if he wanted to get you, he would have got you by now. Like you should get to know who he is and what he's like because he wants to know you and you should get to know him. I would say if you know God, that should lead you into his presence. You should be with God. I think this is a big one. I, I think there's times that we need to fast from the furious pace of our life. I, I, how do you do that? Here's an example of a way to do it. I just did this recently. I just took off all of the social media apps and all the news apps off of my phone. And I'll put some back on later on. But it was out of control. And I realized it was out of control one night when I was watching the Cavs games with my kids and during the Cavs game, I started scrolling through reels on Instagram, and I looked up, and I realized the game was over, and all of my kids had gone to bed, and I was still flipping through my phone. And I'm like, I missed being in their presence. I didn't meet their presence with mine, right? Which made me anxious. 
And so I looked. I'm like, what happened? Well, I got lost on the internet. So I just took it away. That's my example. You can think of your own. But I'm like, I'm just going to put that away so that I'm meeting God's presence with my presence. I, I'm meeting my, the people I love's presence with my presence. If I told you right now you should spend 20 minutes a day in silence and prayer and in Bible study, you'd be like, send me to prison. I can't believe you would want me to do that. But if I told you, uh, look at your screen usage on your phone. So you just fast from it. And you bring, you bring it back into balance. You be. Be in the presence of God. Know, be, and then do. Who, who, does, who would God want me to serve? Who would God want me to love? That answer comes from here. It doesn't come from here. And so when you're looking and saying, I feel anxious, I feel worried, I feel overwhelmed, I'm like, okay, take a breath. Let's run it. No be do. What do I need to know about God? How do I need to be with God? Probably the absence of my presence is what drove my anxiety. Why do I feel like being with God? Why does that make me anxious? I gotta go to church, I gotta read my Bible. Why am I anxious about that? I be in his presence. And then what do I do? Maybe I do need to spend some time in God's word. Maybe I do need to spend some time in prayer. Right? But it comes from his presence. So when I'm overwhelmed, I'd be like, ah, just, uh, let's, let me think through no be do. When I'm worried about the schedule, let me think through I, no be do. When I'm, when I'm trying to understand, is God, maybe God's upset with me. I didn't, go, I didn't do enough. Maybe God's, uh, let, let me run through no be do. And I can use that little pathway to reposition my heart, make the corrections that I need to make, and when I do that, it will relieve the anxiety that I have because a God who loves me came to do those very kinds of things with me. Okay? All right. The band comes out and settles in here. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we love you and we're grateful for you and the fact that you love us is beyond comprehension. We're grateful. Lord, that you would want to be with us, that you have made us worthy to be in your presence through your salvation. So God, I pray for two types of folks. I pray for those of us who know you as our savior. Would you help us to learn to be in your presence, to be still, to be quiet, to meet your presence with our presence. And God, however that plays out, I don't know how that plays out in individual lives, but I know it's what you want. It was the better thing that Mary chose. And in the middle of a chaotic event, she just dialed into you and you were like, that's, that's the point. And so would you help us in the middle of a chaotic life to find you. God, the other type of person I pray for is the one who doesn't know you yet. And they're anxious and worried and overwhelmed and the thought of a loving God who will carry our anxiety and cares, that will erase our past, that will let us be reborn into a new life is so attractive but so overwhelming. So Jesus, in your kindness, 
Would you draw them? Would you assure them? Would you give them the courage to to accept your love and to rid themselves, allow you to rid them of sin? And would you meet us in these places? Jesus, you are what we need. You're really what we want. Even in these moments, God, would you let us meet your presence with our own?